So today we come to the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It has been some journey. For 12 weeks we've been pouring through this teaching. But for some of us here this evening, this will be the first that we've heard about it, because this is a series we've been doing in the morning. So let me begin with just a very short recap to get us all up to speed. Paul's letter to the Ephesians begins with a section full of wonder. In the first three chapters, Paul works hard to lay out some of the magnificent truths of the gospel. He told us that God chose us before the creation of the world because he wanted a people to love. He tells us that when we were dead in our sin, God sent the Lord Jesus to rescue us. He tells us that God has placed his Holy Spirit in our hearts, binding us together as one worldwide family and guaranteeing us eternal life. The opening three chapters to this letter are sublime. We can read them again and again and always find something more to encourage us. They are full of wonder. Then in chapters 4 and 5, in the beginning of chapter 6, Paul moves on to wisdom. Paul begins to teach his readers how to live in response to what God has done for us. He teaches us how to live most effectively as Christians in the world. And this section is full of wise advice. Christians are to live in unity with one another. We're to try and live holy lives that shine out in the darkness. We're to look after our relationships with our spouse, our parents, our children, our work colleagues. In all things, we're to try and follow Christ's example, for he is the Lord and Saviour of the world. There really is loads of wisdom in the middle part of this letter. Wisdom that still helps us to live for the Lord here in 2022. All of that then brings us to our passage today. How does Paul bring this great letter to an end? Well, he does it with a warning. A warning that we all need to hear. A warning about evil. Last week, I was truly blessed. I had a wonderful holiday. Seven days walking in the cathedral of God's creation that is the Lake District. Seven days of joy with my family, seven days of rest and relaxation. I got to drink in the goodness of God. And I know I was fortunate because there were other people in this room who didn't get to go away. Truly, I was blessed. But then for the first time in over a week, I came home and I put on the news. And it brought me to earth with a shudder. From the news, I didn't see all the goodness of God that I'd experienced in the last week. Instead, I saw the reality of evil. The horrific attacks on innocent civilians in Ukraine. The murder of Sabina Nessa by a stranger, demonstrating again the violence that women experience from some men. And the mental health crisis crushing the lives of our young people 
I read today of Chelsea, who by the age of 16 already has anxiety, self-harms, and recently planned to end her life. Perhaps it was because of the week that I've just had that as I read this, everything was within me was screaming, this is not right. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is not the way God planned for things to happen. There must be something causing this pain and destruction. Because I know to the core of my being and from the word of God that God is good. I was reminded again then about the reality of evil. It may be that we don't like to dwell on this topic, the reality of evil. It's not our most loved topic, is it? But it's important that we know how to think about it properly, for we can get in real trouble if we don't. In his great book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. C.S. Lewis wrote those words back in 1941, but they are still true today. Many people in our society conceive of the devil to be a red goat-like creature with horns that runs away around with a three-pronged fork up to humorous mischief. The devil is a cartoon character that it's almost nonsense to take seriously. Yet there are many others in our society that seem to search the devil out through occult activities, through seances, through watching horror films. To them, the devil is powerful, he's interesting. They want to know him and find him. They almost want to worship him. The Bible tells us that neither of these two extremes are true and both are dangerous. To disbelieve in the reality of evil is to underestimate the struggle of the human condition. Every day we have to fight with temptation. And if we're unprepared for that fight, we will almost certainly lose it. But to worship the devil is to accord it honour that is only due to God. So what is required then is a middle ground, a place of honesty, where we can be realistic about the nature of evil and aware of its dangers, but also trusting in the resources that are available to us in Christ. And in this final passage of the letter, Paul wants to help us to do this. The first thing we must do when encountering this topic of evil is to be realistic. Just for a moment, I'd like to, us to picture something in our minds. I'd like us to picture a boxing match. One of the fighters has just been dealt the decisive blow. 
They're now staggering around the ring, punch drunk, lashing out at anything within reach. But the truth is, they're on their way to the canvas. While this happens, all the other fighter has to do is stand their ground and make sure they don't get hit by a flailing right arm. If you can picture that, you have a good illustration of the way that Paul understands the situation that we live in today. At Easter, Jesus delivered the knockout blow against the devil. He is lost. He is flailing around. He is heading for the canvas. But on his way down, he is still swinging and he is still dangerous. As believers, we are to stand our ground, be on our guard until evil finally falls on the day Jesus returns. And in the opening verses of this passage, verses 10 to 13, this is what Paul is instructing his readers about. The reality of evil and the battle that they are in. He says they face the devil's schemes. They're opposed by the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world. That they encounter the unseen forces of evil. Now what does Paul have in mind with those descriptions? Earlier in this letter, in chapter 4, verse 14, he used the word schemes to describe the cunning and crafty false teachers that were attempting to deceive the church. In verse 27 of chapter 4, he spoke of the devil as the one trying to strain relationships between believers in order to break down the integrity and the witness of the church. When Paul thinks of an evil attack, he thinks in very practical terms, and it is often directed at the mission of the church. But from other letters that Paul wrote, we know that Paul thinks that evil operates in a whole myriad of ways. Evil manifests itself in the way that state authorities try to prevent Christians from living the gospel and spreading it to others, often through persecution. Evil acts through people who try to persuade Christians to invest their time and energy in irrelevant side issues that distract them from their faith. Evil works through fascinating believers with distorted ideas and teaching. Evil attacks people through the old age temptations of money, sex and power. All of which, if we fall for, have consequences not just for us, but the people we live amongst. You don't need me to tell you about the manifestations of evil that is at work in this world and the damage that it does to the church. If we are honest, we all recognise it from our own experience. So Paul is right. We have to be realistic. We have to take steps to stand against it. It is very important that we notice that Paul's tone in this passage is not one of fear, but one of defiance. It's almost like he's the President Zelensky of the New Testament. It's urging us to stand up, stand strong, fight. But how are we supposed to do this? Well, the answer came right at the beginning of our passage in verse 10. Paul says, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul knows that the power of God has already defeated evil at the cross. Paul knows that the power of God has already raised Jesus from the dead. So believers are not to rely on their own strength because it's weak and useless. They're instead to rely on the power of the Lord. How do we do that? How do we draw on the power of God? Well, one of the things that Paul has written about most passionately in this letter is the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, Paul spoke about how the Spirit, the same Spirit that had the power to rise Jesus from the dead, lives in us. In chapter 3, he prayed at length that Christians would know the Spirit indwelling in their hearts. Paul wants us all to know that when we encounter evil, when we have to wrestle with temptation, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. We need to make more space for the Spirit in our life. There is power available to us if only we would draw on it. Or maybe if we would put it on. We now have reached the famous section in verses 14 to 17 where Paul speaks about the armour of God. It's very easy to miss that when Paul starts speaking about the armour of God that all of it is defensive. These verses are about equipping us to withstand attack, enabling us to stand right to the end of the day. Even the sword is to be used to repel attack rather than go on the offensive. What's the significance of this? Well, Paul wants us to remember that it is Jesus that defeated evil once and for all at the cross. It's Jesus that's going to take evil out of this world when he returns. We are not going to win this fight ourselves. This armour is to help us stand against evil and to trust in what God has and will do. So what is this defensive armour of God made up of? Let's have a quick run through. The belt of truth. The primary thing that Paul thinks we should know about the gospel is that it is true. Jesus literally died and rose again, and we should never give up on that. Truth is like a belt that holds everything else together. And therefore, as Christians, if we're going to stand against evil, if we're going to stand against temptation, we need to get that truth into our lives. Whether it's through reading the Bible or listening to sermons or engaging with Christian books or downloading podcasts, we need the Spirit through the Word of God in our lives. We stand on truth. The breastplate of righteousness. When we face evil, we are to know that our God is the one true judge and one day will put all things right. It will happen when Jesus returns, but the process has already begun. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was vindicated from all those false charges at his trial. He really had lived the perfect life. But incredibly, as believers, 
we were also justified with him. Through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we also are now in the right in God's eyes. So yes, from time to time we'll fall down, we'll make mistakes, we'll give in to a temptation. But if we confess that quickly, God quickly restores his friendship with us. When we know that we are in the right with God, it protects us from the devil's attempts to undermine us and make us feel guilty. The boots of the gospel of peace. We have read again and again in this letter that all believers have peace with God and through God peace with each other. In our world, evil will try and raise fear. Fear of others, fear of ourselves, and most of all, fear of God and his judgment. But when you know Jesus, when you have the spirit alive in your heart, you find a peace that nothing can take away. When Paul speaks of our feet being fitted with readiness, he's probably thinking about going out and sharing this gospel of peace with others. It's as if when we make the effort to spread peace, we are also defending ourselves against the enemy. It is those that idly sit around that are most prone to temptation. The shield of faith. If I was being honest, I think I would say that I experience the devil's flaming arrows most often in the forms of cynicism and scepticism. In adverse circumstances, in times of tragedy, in, in moments where I've fallen for temptation, I'm so prone to doubt. To doubt God's ability to lead me safely through Sometimes in life we can be so successful, that also leads us to doubt. We doubt as to whether we even need God. But through doubt, evil tries to undermine our faith and our trust in the Lord. The way to resist this is by daring to believe the promises of God. Take in up faith in the promises of Scripture. That Jesus really is the risen Lord and we will stay utterly faithful to him. The helmet of salvation. One of evil's greatest tricks is to make us feel unworthy. Full of shame, full of guilt, full of regret, not feeling lovable or worth anything at all. But through Christ's work, we have been saved. God loves us so much, places such value on our lives. He sent his son to save us. Knowing that we have been adopted into God's family, that we have been rescued from death and our sin, means that when we're tempted to that low morale and low self-esteem, that we remember that we have been saved and God looks on us with fondness. A good example of this in church history is the great reformer Martin Luther. 
Martin Luther regularly struggled with temptation and doubt. And every time he felt evil tempting him in this way, he would shout out at the top of his voice, I have been baptised! Luther was sure of his salvation and he constantly drew upon it. And finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness, right at the start of his ministry, and he was being tempted by the devil? Do you remember what Jesus did? He just quoted scripture straight back to him. He stood on the word of God. He he memorized and, and indwelt into his life. And the same can be true for us today. The Holy Spirit works through the word of God. And when we're feeling full of fear, when we feel under attack, when we feel tempted, we're to go back to the word of God, to make our stand there, to keep reading it and memorizing it and learning it so that it's always there when we need it in a time of crisis. The word of God is the way to bat away the devil's schemes. Truly, if we as Christians put this armour on, we will be ready for anything that comes our way. So Paul is finishing his letter. He finishes with a serious warning. Evil is real and he wants his readers to think about it. He wants them to be realistic. This is happening. This is in the world. There is a battle going on and it is a dangerous one. But he wants them to be full of faith. Christ has already won. And through the spirit and the word of God, you have all the resources you need to stand. That leaves Paul only one more thing to say. We don't stand alone. We're to stand together. Four times in these verses, Paul encourages the believers to stand. Verse 11, verse 13, twice, and verse 14. But the passage finishes by reminding us that we don't have to stand up alone. We stand up with all the other believers standing alongside us. And this is something we see illustrated powerfully on the news at the moment. Ukraine is much stronger when its allies stand with them and help them in their hour of need. Tom Wright, when commentating on this passage, describes Christians as frontline soldiers standing together in a fog. We cannot always see who is around us or who's alongside us, but we know that they are there. Each Christian, each brother and sister a small part of a much larger whole. And this imagery helps us to see what Paul is thinking of. He ends asking for prayer. In verse 18, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. He asks us to be alert and keep praying for all the Lord's people. He even asks the original readers of his letter to pray for him. So that he can keep going when he feels under attack. Remember, Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter. He knew the reality of evil trying to shut down the word of God. 
And it goes without saying, if the Apostle Paul needed prayer, you and I need prayer. So we are to stand together. It's difficult to be a Christian in this world, but we are never to be alone. We're to stand together, support each other, pray for each other through all things. The final thing that Paul says to the Christians under attack in the ancient world is that they are to unite and stand together in prayer. And maybe that's something we need to do today. I guess ending a letter with a warning is not really what we would expect. It's not the pleasantries that we would put at the end of a long letter or email. But Paul is trying to encourage us. In life, we will come across difficulties at times. But in God, we have all the resources that we need.